Today's show is brought to you by IBM. 16 million new collar jobs will be created by 2024. To help fill them, IBM's new education model gives high school students workplace experience and an associate's degree. 90 P-Tech schools are already preparing graduates for tomorrow's STEM careers. Let's put smart to work. Find out how at ibm.com slash P-Tech. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That is me. I am part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. I am at Vox Media headquarters talking to you in New York City. We have a very special guest here, but before we get to talk to that guest, I want to ask you briefly to tell a friend about this podcast. You are smart. You're listening to the Recode Media Podcast, so you know how to tell a friend about the Recode Media Podcast. Thank you in advance for your help. How's that plug, Marcus? It's pretty good. I enjoyed it. My guest here is Marcus Brownlee, better known to many people as... As MKBHD. MKBHD. And this is this is an interesting litmus test for sort of your, your cultural, technology, pop cultural uh, literacy. You either know who Marquez slash MKBHD is, and you think he's a giant effing deal, or you're just hearing about him now for the first time. Yeah. Is that fair? That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. So you're a giant star that many people have not heard of. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a very 2018 thing. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. So uh, there's a lot of people who are fully aware of who I am or or via someone else. I get that a lot where people will say, hey, I, my kid knows you or yeah. uh, I know my brother knows your videos or something like that. You know but, who said that to me today? Who? The CEO of Vox Media, Jim Bankoff. He's going to right. bust down the door here for a selfie in a minute so he can impress his 12-year-old kid. Nice. Um, for the folks who are listening to this podcast who have not heard of you before, what's the mm-hmm. best way to describe you? Uh, so I would be a YouTuber in the tech space. So uh, a lot of people say reviewer. That's a big part of what I do is I review gadgets and devices and talk about what you should versus shouldn't buy. But then another big part of it is just talking tech and highlighting it and showcasing it and just having fun with it. So it's videos. And your bona fides are, you're, I'm saying you're a giant deal, but if you don't believe me, you could go to your YouTube page. How many subscribers do you have there? It should be 6 million tomorrow. 6 million people are, are getting weekly updates from you? Yeah, something like that. And your Twitter, what, 3 million? Uh, Twitter's, I think, 2.7 million. I was rounding up for you. Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Instagram is 1.x million. Uh, that's about it. But you, YouTube is your thing. That's for sort sure. of where you make your money. It's where you do what you do. You've yeah. been doing it for how long? So first video was 2009, January 2009. So it'll be about 10 years in well, half a year from now. And I don't know if you could tell. You'd maybe see Marquez to get a sense of how old he is. But he's not an old person. Yeah. How old are you, Marquez? I'm 24 now. Oh, you've been doing it for nine years. Yeah. So you started when you were, I can when do the I was math. just a high 50. schooler. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about that. I still want to sort of establish how big a deal you are in this world because I think people are familiar with the idea that gadgets and technology uh, are a big deal in pop culture, they're a big deal on the internet. Um, in the old days, there were blogs like in Gadget and Gizmodo, they're still a big deal today. Mm-hmm. Obviously, The Verge, our, our sister site over at Vox Media, is a big deal. Um, but there's this burgeoning crop of people like yourself, and I think you're the most prominent, who've, who've become sort of the modern-day Walt Mossberg in a lot of places. In a lot of senses. Um, and I say that as someone who worked with Walt Mossberg for yeah. a decade plus. Um, one, one good way of, of sussing that out is, I'm trying to remember if it was an Apple ad or a Samsung ad, but I saw it last fall. And in the, 
they were showing off the new phone and they were showing off they they were they were they were highlighting positive remarks from august people so and so from the verge so and so from the Wall Street journal and there was a quote from marcus brownlee which yeah. is on a national tv ad was yes. that was that was that iphone uh, there was a Samsung ad and a more recently a Google Pixel ad that okay. both did Samsung. That. Yeah. So this is also a flaw with TV advertising. If I remember a portion of the ad, but not what the product was for. Yeah, it probably That's didn't do its job. But I'm also. But I thought, who is Marcus Brownlee? Yeah. Samsung thinks I should know who he is because they're putting his name in, in front of a national TV ad. Mm-hmm. When did you reach national TV ad? Marcus Brownlee, no other identification required stage. That that I would say that's pretty recent. That that uh, happened last year. That's for the within first time. the last year. That hadn't happened in any way, uh, at all until yeah, uh, 2017. Are you walked down the street famous? No, no. Uh, so yeah, that's the, that's the beauty of the internet. Is a lot of people who are on the internet most of their time aren't in the street most of the time. So I can just walk down the street and no one knows. So you're big with with basement dwellers. Uh, yeah. People in the dorms, <laughs> people who don't get out. Yeah. That's not true. You're huge I mean, there, so it gets, I'd say people ask usually like, how often do people recognize you? It's usually at tech, dense things, yeah. events, uh, CES, like conferences, things like that. You're nerd then, famous. Yeah, then, you know, it takes three seconds before I'm walking, bumping into the next person. But, uh... Nobody on the way here. Nobody We're not on the right. way home. Not, not until you stepped into Vox Media where you accosted. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> uh, this is a job for you. This is full-time. You make a living. Mm-hmm. Seems like a decent living. Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk I'd about that in so. a minute. Yeah. Um, you started doing this in high school, junior high? In high school, yeah. In high school, went to college, kept doing it? Yes. And, and then went pro immediately mm-hmm. after college? Basically. But you were doing it. I mean, when, when did you start making money making YouTube videos? It was uh, back in the days of what was called the YouTube Partner Program. Uh, I know a couple people who are around YouTube before that program existed, uh, but it was introduced and basically let people apply to become a YouTube partner and split revenue with YouTube and put ads on the videos. Hey, we noticed you're making a lot of videos on YouTube. We haven't been giving you any of the money we're making from ads. We're going to change that. We're going to give you 45%. Right. Uh, and actually, there were no ads on your videos if you weren't a member of the program. So you become a member. That was maybe two to three years after I started making videos. So, so you're doing it for fun, young. for giggles. Yeah, absolutely. What was your um, first video? First, uh, So there's a couple answers to that. <laughs> my first video video ever was before I did anything tech-related, and I just uploaded a video of my golf swing just to see if anyone would critique it. You know, I was 14, looking for some feedback, uh, just uploaded that. That was the first two videos. My first tech video was the one I give credit to uh, in 2009, which is when I unboxed this laptop. And the first video I did was just a video about the little remote that came in the PCI slot of that laptop. That's the first video of many that I made about that machine. I hate to ask, but what's a PCI slot? Oh, yeah. It's uh, this little credit card size slot in the corner of uh, big laptops back in the day. Okay. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not familiar with it. Yeah, I'll pretty old. Up. Um, but if I, I actually saw it. The, the, it's, it's astonishing when you see this video because mm-hmm. you're not an old person today, but you were really a kid when you are making this video. Mm-hmm. Did, your, did your parents say, hey, we're not super comfortable the idea of, of our kid uploading videos to the internet, or, or did they figure that's what kids do in 2009? So there was a little stunt before where I uploaded videos on some other channel under a fake name, and they did give me that talk. They were like, hey, be safe on the internet. Like, don't, you know, identify yeah. yourself or whatever. Uh, that all got deleted. 
And then I later made my own name as my channel and just did the opposite of what they suggested in that. So there was a period where I didn't tell them about it. Nobody really knew about it. People at school didn't know about it. I was just making videos for fun. But then they did eventually find that, and it turned out not to be that bad, I guess. When did you realize that people were paying attention to what you were doing? Um, not necessarily what I was doing, but there was something that came to mind where Safari, the browser for, <laughs> for Android, or sorry, for Windows came out. Uh, the day that got available, I made a video about it, and overnight, like 6,000 views or something blew my mind that people cared about software that much the way I did. So you're putting it up because you just thought it was a fun thing to do. Yeah. It didn't occur to you this would be something else someone would want to watch. Right. So it was just a fun one of many videos yeah. I was making that day and happened to pop. And so do you remember that was your breakthrough that sort of like got you well, a little bit above the noise or not, no? I mean, that was more of an eye-opener for me that yeah. there was an audience outside of the 100 subscribers I had that cared about timely information. So that was sort of a... Uh, something that sort of steered me in a way. Um, but I think there were a couple later uh, little points that were more obviously, you'd call it bursting onto the scene or yeah. like more visible like. than that. Uh, there was the the iPhone, I'm going to remember wrong, but I think it's the iPhone 6 uh, screen test before the iPhone 6 came out. Uh, that one was... And that was you, you, basically you saying... I have the glass here that, that I think yeah. they're going to make the iPhone out of. Right. Not confirmed, but this is what I believe is going to work. Mm -hmm. Let's see if I can scratch it. Yeah. And that went super viral. That was when I had, I would say, more than a million subscribers, and it immediately passed that in views. Well, anytime you get more views on the video in a day than you have subscribers to the channel, pretty good sign yeah. that people outside of the channel are seeing it and, and sharing it, and it's kind of growing in that way organically. And that was still... I. You can tell me if you think this is still happening, but it seems to me that that sort of the huge appetite people had to learn about each new phone has maybe diminished over the last few years as they've gotten sort of more and more similar and people, you know, no one's really having their mind blown with the iPhone X versus the iPhone right. 8. Maybe, maybe you think differently. I, but it seemed like for a while, each new iPhone everyone paid an enormous amount of attention to. Yeah. I mean, as far as scale goes, it kind of seems like they're paying more attention now than they were before. Really? Uh, it at least what I see in comments, and there's an entire community that's really enthusiastic about every single phone that comes out. Yeah. And so, of course, when the new iPhone comes out, they'll watch it. So year after year, that's... So your numbers the, keep ticking up with they each new do, phone. They do, yeah. And so I could say that's because my audience is bigger, but a lot of the views on my videos are search, and those numbers keep growing as well every year. So it seems to me like the appetite is actually still growing, even if it's not as one-by-one -one groundbreaking as this new iPhone. Right, so you see, so jaded technology journalists like myself, my maybe ah, yeah, phone. just cares? a little bit. I've seen it before. <laughs> Talking poop emoji, fine. Mm -hmm. Did you do a separate thing on the poop emoji? Uh, it was in the review. It in wasn't review. really separate, yeah. Um, but but for your audience is growing either because there's an audience of people who are more and more interested in phones, or the people who are interested in phones are finding you. Yeah. Either way, it works for you. Yeah. That's great. I want to talk about your business and how you built it, but first I want to get to my business, which involves hearing an ad from an advertiser. We'll be right back. Today's show is brought to you by IBM. By 2050, the world population will reach nearly 10 billion people. So food production will need to grow by 70%. What if artificial intelligence could help? Good news, farmers are already using AI to help increase crop yields. They use Watson and the IBM Cloud, and they provide access to weather data, analyze satellite imagery to help them monitor soil moisture levels and reduce water waste. 
So as the population grows, more food can be put on tables. That's good. Let's put smart to work. Find out how at ibm.com slash smart. I'm back here with Marcus Brownlee, also known as MKBHD, which stands for? Uh, my initials, MKB, and HD is high definition. Awesome. Yeah. Did you have that at the beginning? That, no. So uh, that came from me uh, wanting to find a way to more quickly identify myself uh, at the beginning of videos. Basically, I would start with this whole spiel. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Marquez Brownlee here, back with another high-definition video tutorial. And today we're talking about <laughs> blank. And that was a little too much. Let's speed it up. I wanted some way to say, like, hey, welcome back. I've made other videos if you want to watch them. Let's talk about the new thing. And so I eventually had to make a Twitter username, and Marquez Brownlee is really long and hard to spell for a lot of people. So I just made MKBHD, uh, this nomer that you can find across social channels. Did you want to be someone who was famous on YouTube? Did you want to be someone who was well-known for talking about technology? Or are you just someone who likes technology and was playing with YouTube, and now you're MKBHD? I'd say it's mostly the last. Um, I was making videos basically for fun until the end of college. What was like, your ambition in high school and college? Um, I was I wanted to be in marketing just because that little bit of videos I started to make opened my eye to the fact that there was relationships between companies and that weird influencer word, but like that that sort of relationship was interesting to me. So you had a sense there was a there was a business here. Yeah, I kind of wanted to be that marketing guy at that company that helped talk to YouTubers. You wanted to be the guy at Samsung who was reaching out to marketing. Exactly. Yeah. That weird reverse role. I wanted to be that guy. Um, so that was for a while. That was like high school. Uh, I went to a business school. Again, studied marketing and information systems, sort of a mix of things. Didn't necessarily have a specific goal because at that point, I kind of already knew I wouldn't need to do that. Um, but yeah, then it, it just got pretty obvious that I could do videos full time. And so as you're building this up and you're saying, all right, I'm going to start reviewing tech. I'm going to start showing people how this stuff works. And you say you're not just strictly a reviewer. You think mm -hmm. it's information generally, right? Yeah. Who were you thinking about emulating? Who were you looking at or reading or thinking about as you were building this up? That's a good question. Uh, it's a lot of different things. Uh, there's a lot of other YouTubers specifically that I watched because I didn't watch that much TV or that many movies. But as far as video style, I'd watched a lot of YouTube and got ideas from there. And then, as Which is a pretty straight ahead, right? It's, it's yeah. usually... We joke about a kid in the basement, right? But it's not much more evolved than that. Generally, it's someone looking dead into the camera, yeah. often on their laptop, yeah. holding the thing up. Yeah, pretty straightforward. It feels like a more personal me talking to you thing, which yeah. is the idea. Um, and then the actual content itself was just born from stuff I look around and find interest in, uh, which is really fortunate for me, I think, because a lot of YouTubers in the long run struggle with keeping their channel interesting, where I don't have that problem. I just tech keeps itself interesting. You don't need to come up with a new sketch. Yeah, exactly. Or a new bit. Yeah. So the extent of that would be me finding new, interesting, relevant things to explain or to dive deep into. But for the most part, if it's gadget-focused, those gadgets just keep coming, and I just show them to the camera and talk about it. So how does that work with the gadgets keep coming? Or the theoretical guy at Samsung who's trying mm -hmm. to reach you, he knows where to find you. He's, he sets you up with, with he or she with the new gear on a just continual basis. You, do you need to ask for it? A little bit of both. So often, I think the channel is visible enough, and we're at a point in 2018 where pretty much every company recognizes there's eyeballs on YouTube. If you want to reach them, yep. you got to have some sort of relationship and, and work with the creators. So that happens where they reach out to me. They'll say, we have something we want to share, and it goes back and forth from there. But a lot of other times, I'll reach out to a company that I want to 
possibly work with and maybe do a behind the scenes of what they're doing or a, a deeper dive into their process. And I'll, and they eventually come around and see the eyeballs the, the way the other companies do. It sounds like you, in some cases you needed to spend some time convincing people that just because you're on YouTube doesn't mean you should be, you should be taken seriously. Right. Um, who was, who was hardest to sort of persuade? Um, that's, I don't know if I, ha- I don't have any recent stories. It's more of, uh, the companies that are like, how do we do this? How do we work with you? Cause there's the really tried and true ones who have done this over and over. And if I ever reach out for something that's not on their grid of projects, then they know exactly how to handle it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but something like what we did recently when they were super easy to work with, but motorized precision, which is a robot company that does these cinema robots. Uh, they'd never worked with a YouTuber before, never showed their behind the scenes, never showed their process. Is this software. the video that's up right now? This is the latest video yeah, about five days and, old. Yeah. yeah. And so we came in and we worked with them and, and the whole process, they made it easy because they were open to finally, you know, showing what they do. But I think it worked out well because they were so open to it. So the traditional gadget reviewer, right, the, from Walt Mossberg, uh, New York Times, now Verge, there's sort of an established way that these things are done. X number of weeks or months sometimes before a product comes out, if it's a significant enough product, they give it to them in advance. There's some kind of NDA, either signed or not signed. You can't talk about this until day X. Yep. But then you get to say whatever you want. Um, and also, we're not paying you, right? There's no right. there's no quid pro quo. Work the same way for you? Is any, any part of that different? Yep. It's uh, They've been lately including more YouTubers as part of that press. Uh, it's a little different because... Uh, you know, that a lot of it is written, so they kind of have to accommodate new things when people are bringing cameras in. Oh, you mean, you mean how, how the, the embargo part works? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, you know, they'll have a—I I guess Samsung, for example, you know, they're coming out with a new phone. They invite a bunch of press. They include YouTubers along with the rest of press. So most of press is writing—this happened with Tesla also. Most of press is writing things down. Right. Uh, so it can be kind of hard to also accommodate uh, a video production just popping up and happening— on the spot. Because you want to get in the test launch people what it looks like. Yeah. Uh, so that that's something I think more companies are working on now than they ever did. That's something they had no focus on before YouTubers were doing this. But now that we are, I've seen some companies, you know, dive head on into it and do really well. Samsung had video lights and little mini sets in their little place in the So they they built that for you. Do, do they treat you as press? Do they treat you as an influencer? Is there a difference? Uh, I'd say they treat us as press. Um, I'd say because of my place where I, I was one of the first YouTubers to get invited and just kind of looped in along with the rest of press at a lot of these things, I got to observe how they work with press. And they basically have just opened the door a little more and brought a couple more YouTubers, a couple more, uh, and treated us the same way, which I think is good. Anyone offer to pay you either directly or pay you to fly somewhere? Uh, usually not. I think they, they're pretty good about, hey, we'll cover your flight and hotel if we need to bring you to some okay remote place, yeah. and I'm cool with that. That's great. Uh, but if it's uh, some sort of a device review or analysis, then that has to stop there. And, and, and is that something you knew from the get-go, or you came around to that idea, or they're trained on that idea? It felt right in the beginning. I wasn't necessarily doing any of it for the paid part, it was to get the device. The device is the most yeah. exciting part. So if they could offer the device, that was more than enough for me. So you're the true geek fanboy yeah. and you want to touch the stuff. And that is Basically. a long-running tradition that goes back many decades of people saying, I just want to touch it. Yeah. So, yeah, they didn't. even if they did offer to pay, I would say no because that's not what I'm doing this for. 
I think access is often just as valuable as any of that. Yes, spoken yeah. like a true media criticism professional. <laughs> we wrote about a version of this uh, last fall when the, the iPhone X came out because mm-hmm. we noticed that there were a bunch of people who were doing the official reviews, including my colleagues over at The Verge, and they were going to come out on, I don't know, Wednesday or Thursday. Right. And the day before, not you, I don't think, but maybe I'm no. going wrong, a bunch of other YouTube video people said, hey, we got the new iPhone X. Here's yeah. our first, our, our hands-on, we're playing with it. Here's what it looks like. And there was an interesting discussion about that. Why yeah. would Apple do that? Why are they why are they courting these people? What was your take on that? That was interesting. Yeah, that I had a lot of thoughts about that about why because when I, I watched all of the videos when they came out and I sort of observed, you know, things that stayed the same between all the videos and then, you know, they all had their different voices. It looks they like they've been taken out to the the building in Soho and Yeah, and, they all were in the same Rebecca. Yeah, all same location, yep. all same talking points, all same emissions. So you kind of get the idea that this is a genre of video that yeah. Apple is curating in a small scale and it feels like an experiment because it's so new to them. Uh, but then they obviously have ready in the next wave all the press and things they're used to working with. But they're kind of tweaking and playing with uh, working with YouTubers and what they want to do with that. So I wouldn't be surprised if they do it again or do something a little different this year. Do you think someone who's watching you and other people doing technology stuff on YouTube um, is new? Uh, th- that's a new sort of consumer of technology? Or this is someone who is always interested in the new iPhone, the new Samsung, just before they were looking about it? They were looking it up on Engadget. And prior to iPhones, they were looking at it on you know, popular science. Yeah, uh, I'd say it's two. It's both. I often separate my audience into two categories uh, as far as when they watch the video. It's the people on day one who are subscribed, who are into tech, who read other reviews and watch other reviews uh, that watch it early. And then after the half-life of that video, it's people in search who are more casual, just kind of generally looking to get a new device. I know I'm interested in an iPhone. I'm probably going to go to the mall and get one, but yeah. I'm going to Google it before But I'll just I look at it so I know what it's what to expect. That's the second half. Yeah. So uh, the, the first half is growing because the subscriber base is growing and people are more interested now than ever in just being into tech, so that's really cool. But I think the second half, the search more casual half, as the platform grows, is also growing, too. One of the takeaways I got from Apple uh, pushing this stuff out via sort of unconventional means last year was, and I'm I'm sure I'm stealing this idea from someone, probably John Gruber, um, was that basically everyone who's going to buy an iPhone who knows about iPhones is going to buy the iPhone, and they're at the stage where to move the needle, they've got to reach a bigger audience Mm -hmm. that's only sort of ambiently aware that there's an iPhone out there. And going to YouTube personalities is part of that push. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, uh, there's. Uh, it's kind of the way all brands have to work with uh, creators. Where there's an, if you made a Venn diagram of the overlap of people who have heard of the brand and people who have heard of the YouTuber, it would kind of over. It would overlap in the middle, and you're trying to reach the half of people that you know have heard of the YouTuber, trust them, are interested in what they have to say, but haven't heard of your brand. But also a big enough overlap that it's not totally foreign that they'd be comfortable talking about it. So you know what I mean? So that's, it's kind of like you're reaching an extra little bit of people who are almost connected to you, but not yet. Right. And and I guess if you were cynical about it, it's a fairly cheap way for them to do it, right? That's like Because so. maybe they're covering airfare and hotel for the folks they're bringing to New York. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. They can afford it. Probably not paying them much beyond that. Right. And they're making free content for them. Yep. Close to free. All right. So we're getting. I'm getting a good marketing lesson here from Marquez. Yeah. <laughs> you, got, you got a degree in this? I, I have a marketing degree. Yeah. I have business... Uh, that's 
That's about it. But and then, then, then actual school of life yeah. as well. Marquez, we're going to take a quick commercial break to hear okay. from a fine sponsor, who may be one of your sponsors as well. Who knows? Let's find out. Today's show is brought to you by Airtable, the all-in-one collaboration platform. Content industry is constantly evolving. To keep up, you need a tool that's flexible enough to adapt to your process, but powerful enough to keep everybody on the same page. Airtable has been used by companies like Time Magazine, Group 9 Media, and BuzzFeed Motion Pictures. It lets you manage your entire creative process from ideation to content creation. Airtable empowers you to do your work your way. You can try it today. Just head to Airtable.com slash Recode Media to receive $50 in free credits. And now we're back. I'm also speaking closer to the microphone for my instructions. Got it. From my producer, Golda. Am I good still? I'm good? Golda's right. giving a thumbs up. I can't up. hear them. So. How does the business part of, of your business work? Who yep. pays you? How do you get paid? Yeah. Uh, the main way is through YouTube's ad revenue split. So... Uh, the ads that appear on the videos, those are being paid for by companies who want to target and put ads on YouTube. So if you're a company who wants to sell a tech product, you put in all your, your Google AdWords, you want to key in on certain people, they watch a YouTube video, the ad pops up. Uh, it's paid for, split by YouTube and the uploader of the video. The advertiser gives YouTube a dollar, YouTube keeps 55 cents, you get 45 cents. Yeah. So that's the main way. Uh, a lot of times more targeted Ads pay more, so bigger companies that know that you know there's an exact audience they want to tunnel in on, they'll pay more for, uh, you know, makeup products, for example, or tech products, or or whatever genre they know they can get to. But that fluctuates wildly, as you've, I'm sure you've heard, between times of year and days of the week and hours of the day and all kinds of stuff like that. So that's just kind of the the main way. And do you have any control over what's coming in or what's going up on the page? Or you make a video, they put ads against it, you're kind of done. Basically, yeah. Uh, there's a couple different minor tweaks where if you have a video, it's basically on or off my control. But if you have a video over 10 minutes long, you can enable mid-roll ads, for example, yep. if you want to have uh, you know one in the middle of the video. Um, I can turn on or off pre-rolls. I can allow certain types of click-through pre-rolls. But as far as like who's advertising or what ad it is, I have no control. And are you doing any branded stuff within the video? Is anyone paying you to hold up a can of Pepsi or whatever? Yeah, there's a there's, that's the second part where it's like you have to go out as a YouTuber or creator and work on your own connections and your own second, more diversified income stream. So I have worked with companies that uh, want to do either product placement or uh, showcasing their product in a video where it wouldn't have ordinarily appeared. Uh, which is pretty cool that they're willing to do that. And do you tell the the viewer, yeah. hey, I'm being this is sponsored by Lenovo, yeah. and here's the new Lenovo, whatever. Yeah, and even when it's like a just a, the device is provided by the company, I still disclose that, even though it shouldn't really have an effect. But yeah, anytime there's a paid promotion, that's always disclosed. And so, if you're, if you're doing Lenovo or HP or whomever, is that a standalone video, or is that is that a ad within the video? Uh, depends. It's been video. both. Yeah, uh, I've, I've worked with a couple companies that have done. I think twice ever, uh, an entire video just about one thing. And uh, a couple other times it's been like, you know, one of uh, five things in like a dope tech video or a top five or something like that where it showed up um, as paid promotion. But for the most part, it's product placement. So close to 3 million YouTube viewers making a a YouTube video uh, a week? It's, yeah, it's probably two a week. Generates how many views on average? Uh, it's about a million, million every, video. every time you do a video. And all that translates into what to you in terms of actual revenue to you? Uh, that would be like what, like where is how it much, coming how from? How much are you making each year? 
Oh man, uh, I don't want to say that, but Give me a ballpark. I, uh, let me see the. It's six figures. Yeah, I read, I read a it was a Ringer profile a couple of years ago. Yeah, I, it estimated you at half a million. Oh dollars. yeah. So the estimates are weird because they're like, I don't know if it's just a statistical net they're casting, but it's somewhere between like ten percent and a thousand percent of what I make. So they kind of just it's in the ballpark. Yeah, it's a, that's the ballpark for sure. But it's a living for you. It's what yeah. you do full time. You have employees now as well. Yeah, yeah. So I. It's been a couple years since I had to separate the personal side of it and the business side of it just for logical business and tax reasons. So I pay myself a small amount from the business, but almost all of it goes back into the business, whether it's paying employees or equipment. You should have seen the boxes I took out (laughs) that I got from FedEx today. Um, That's a pretty constant evolution, the studio space, et cetera. How many employees do you have? It's three now. Three full-time employees. Yeah. Plus yourself. Plus myself. That is a cool small business. Yeah. Making YouTube videos. Yeah. I used to write about YouTube videos a lot, and the common theme was people who are making the videos or people who are employing the people to make the videos were unhappy with the money they were getting from YouTube, from Mm -hmm. advertising. Mm -hmm. Constant back and forth about whether the split should be different, whether YouTube should do a better job of selling. Seems like we don't hear that much more about, we don't hear that much about that these days. I think partly because Facebook pays zero for Mm -hmm. the most part. Um, and also maybe, maybe the people who are making YouTube videos are sort of more comfortable with what the deal is. I think we, we've gotten used to it. Uh, and also the idea that you have to take some sort of control over it. So there's other ways to do that now, whether it's diversifying with in-video promotion or with merch or with, I was going to say something else that I forgot, um, or sponsorships. You, people do that all the time in videos. So or Patreon, that's what I was going to say. There's other ways to have the, the the audience directly support you, even if it's not through YouTube. And this is what, by the way, Susan Wojcicki, the CEO of YouTube, mm-hmm. Robert Kinsel, any of those people would say as well, which is, yeah. we're going to do our best to make money for you, but we also want you to go find other opportunities. And we're, we're right. fine with that, and we're not going to try to take a piece of that ourselves. Yeah, so they encourage that, and I think a lot of people are smart about that. Now that we've been doing it for a while, we've had time to build that up. Uh, so there's less of an excuse to rely entirely on what YouTube provides, yeah. but it would still be nice for that to be consistent for people. And then uh, there was a story at the beginning of the year, which just unfortunately echoed because of the shooting at YouTube about demonetization and small creators being upset that they were being cut out. Obviously, it doesn't apply to you because you're a giant YouTube star. Do you have any empathy, sympathy for people who thought they were going to be like money from YouTube and can't now? Yeah, I, I have had almost no... Uh, problem with monetization. I say almost no because I had one video, my iPhone 10 review, that for some reason there's a bug on YouTube where every video with iPhone 10 or the X in the title got demonetized for a couple hours. Not a big deal. But still brutal for, still for a couple strange. hours, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, the, the thing is it was like a week after I uploaded it, uh-huh. so it almost didn't matter at all. Okay, because the, 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 all the viewing happens in the first yeah, week. Yeah, most of the view happens, views had happened already, but it was just a random bug I noticed. Um, but my videos are PG, like they're tech videos, right. no one has any problem with them. So I haven't had that problem. But I do, yeah, feel sympathy for people who had been like making X amount and now make 40% of X amount suddenly and don't have uh, that diversity of income to, to fall back on. We were ticking off the other platforms you're on, Twitter, Instagram. Mm-hmm. You didn't say Facebook. Um, there was a period where everyone was really fascinated with, with how Facebook was going to yeah. increase their business. Did you spend any time with them? Yeah, I've worked with Facebook a little bit, experimented here and there, different ways of doing it. I kind of just exist there now. I don't really focus on it. I would think if I was Facebook or any platform, I yeah. would say, oh, 
Marquez is exactly video. the kind of person I want to come work with me. And I'm going to try think. to pay him to come away from YouTube or create content for me. Mm-hmm. Snapchat, same thing. Um, seems like that didn't happen. Uh, no. Uh, and I have heard, actually, that that's what they're doing with some creators, where they are you know, trying to bring them into yeah. that platform and they're trying to boost, bolster up Facebook video. Uh, but Facebook video also kind of has a reputation already. and As? As a sort of a second-rate, like, 99% of what shows up on my Facebook feed that's video is stolen from YouTube, which is pretty rough already. And that last 1% is just, like, random videos from my friends, which is probably what you want to see as far as video. But what Facebook wants is probably much more than that. So it's going to be tough for them to curate original content if anyone wants to put their original content on any platform, it would be the biggest platform, and that's not Facebook, so it's going to be hard for them. It's really interesting because uh, even last year, I think 20, 12 months ago, people said, well, obviously Facebook is going to dominate this. It's just a matter of time. Yeah. And they're coming up very quickly, and they can sort of hear the, the screeching brakes on that business. Yeah, it's uh, people ask all the time about, you know, what do you do when YouTube's gone? And I'd say, well, if I – the question I always ask is if I want to go watch – iPhone review or whatever tech video, where am I going to go? I'm going to go to YouTube. That's the answer in 2018. And it's been the answer every year for the last X years and probably will be in the foreseeable future. If I ever see that answer start to change, like I want to go see a video, I'm going to go to this site, then it gets interesting. But I think that's a long way off. What do you consume when you're not watching videos of yourself or other tech (laughs) YouTube folks? I watch a lot of YouTube. it's, is YouTube your main screen? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. More than movies, more than TV. For sure. Only movies I watch are on the plane and only TV. I don't watch, I watch some sports TV and I watch like mealtime TV, but that's not really very consistent. So either. you are either making a good portion of this audience listening to this just cringe or, or possibly, or they're cheering because, yeah, yeah, that's, that's yeah. the way I want to reach. Yeah. I was never a cord cutter because I never really had a cord to cut in the first place. So yeah, it's definitely a lot of YouTube. There's a lot of shows on YouTube now that I watch. Do you think you're an outlier, that you have almost an entirely YouTube sort of media consumption? I think so. Yeah. Even a lot of my friends that are my age are watching Netflix shows, for example, or you know Hulu shows or things like So you're hardcore. You don't even have room for Netflix in your life. I have an account, and I don't use it. Oh. <laughs> uh, there's, a, there's the Game of Thrones people and the, all these shows that I just know about but have never watched. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's about it. I'm mostly a YouTube person. And also, you have a second life. Yeah. Ultimate Frisbee. That is true. <laughs> Your professional Ultimate Frisbee player? I've read that a couple times That's now. That's correct. Just because you read something on the internet doesn't mean it's true. It's true. Professional meaning you get paid to play Ultimate Frisbee? Yeah. It's barely, crazy. But it's true. Yeah. Who pays you? Uh, so there's a there's the uh, league. You've probably heard of the NBA, the Basketball Association, the Familiar NHL, yeah. the MLS. So there's something called the AUDL, the American Ultimate Disc League. And uh, big time. Like there's there's five divisions now, I think. I might be wrong on that, but there's a whole East Division with Toronto, New York, Philadelphia, Montreal, uh, and D.C. Uh, we play up and down this road trip. Uh, our home opener is April 14th, if anyone wants to know. Where, where, uh, where, where would they see you play? Uh, we, so I'm playing for New York Empire this season, and our, our stadium is in New Rochelle, New York. So that's pretty awesome. Uh, it used to be further down near Randall's Island, New York, but that's where we're at now. That's where our home opener is. It'll be against Toronto, but it'll be like every weekend for the next like four months, you'll be able to see AODL video. And does your ultimate Frisbee, it sounds like I'm laughing at you, but I'm just <laughs> laughing because I think it's funny. Does that? Does your ultimate Frisbee uh, career cut into video making? Do you, will you reduce your, your output for those four or five months? Uh, yes, I would say, but at it's good that it does. 
<laughs> I think if I spent seven days of seven days a week on video like I want to, I would probably go insane after a while. So this forces you to go outdoors. Yes, this is my unplug. This is my mental break from all the focus that I am. I mean, I, I still look at YouTube, obviously, but this is my break from that. I still after the pro season ends, there's a club season, there's winter training. It's kind of an every weekend thing. Uh, but yeah, it definitely definitely takes away a little bit from from the full-time YouTube grind. It sounds great and also healthy. My brother like managed to like break a good portion of his back playing Ultimate once, and they said it's impossible to break your back this way unless you're unless you're in a motorcycle accident. But oh. he managed to do it, so be careful. Wow. Yeah. Um, let's end this on an up note. Sure. Offer some advice to people who would like to become giant YouTube stars. You started mm. at 15. You're 24. You're a giant YouTube star. Mm-hmm. Can't be that hard. Right? Oh, my God. So I find myself in this position all the time where I'm asked to give advice uh, on doing what I've done. But the barrier to entry to doing what I do now is huge compared to what it was 10 years ago. Because there are so many of you. There are so, there's a massive volume of it. Even the production level of like a basic tech YouTube video, if you watch a tech video from like a teenage kid in his bedroom now, it's amazing compared to what I made nine years ago. Because he's got better equipment, he actually knows how to use like it. because like the camera in your phone is is incredible. Right. And like just the little bit of knowledge about iMovie and lighting and you can make something insanely great. So the barrier to entry is mainly in your own head. It's like I get a lot of questions like what camera should I buy to start making YouTube? What uh, this, what that should I buy so that I can make YouTube videos? Because that's what they see is this production. So my answer to that is just take what you have and just start now. Because if you don't enjoy just making videos with what you have, you're not going to enjoy the process of trying to build something up. This sounds five, like six exactly years. the same advice you give to someone who's going into writing or <laughs> yeah. acting, which is just do it. Yeah, just get into it, get your feet wet, get your hands dirty. Okay, so I come back to you. So Marquez, I've been I've been doing it. I've yeah. been making videos in my mom's basement. Here it comes. Now what? Yeah. Uh, usually you do that and. You just make what you're passionate about and hope that someone eventually watches, uh, but that's not guaranteed to happen, uh, and you just kind of have to keep going. Like a lot of times, you can focus on you know marketing. You, get, you can learn about SEO and you can build up uh, you know title optimization and thumbnails and things like that. And there are tips to try to get I'm more looking people. Looking at Zach, our marketing guy, are you taking <laughs> notes. There's little Good. things you can do to get people to watch your videos more. But none of it will make as drastic of a difference as the video itself. The video itself has to be what makes people watch it uh, and share it and, and watch it again. Do you think there are people making amazing videos that are just languishing in the, the billions of hours of YouTube yeah. video uploaded each day? Absolutely. And I, I love finding that and sharing it. So you, um, you think it, it, it's, it, it's not just make it and you can make something that's truly great and mm-hmm. someone may never see it just yep. because it's, there's that much volume out in That's YouTube. what YouTube in 2018 is right now is there's so many hours and, and so many eyeballs, but still like the amount of, what, how many hundreds of hours uploaded every minute to YouTube? Like it, it could be incredible and never be seen. Uh, there's a company I was working with recently that did car videos. They happened to work at a dealership that had McLarens, Maseratis, Porsches at their disposal probably $100 million of cars in a garage the size of, like, the ground floor of this building. And they made incredible videos with them, passion projects, you know, really well-lit, top-notch gear, and you could tell they really loved and enjoyed what they were doing. And I came across this channel hundreds of videos later, and it's, you know, a 1,000 subscribers, and I was like, there's no way only a 1,000 people should be watching these. And so I I started working with them and sharing their stuff, 
And I love finding that and sharing it. So you, you can now become a distributor slash curator of other people's stuff. In a way, Is yeah. that a business for you or just the thing you like to do? Well, it's, it's part of it. I think uh, my personality has become its own brand in a weird way. So the, the type of stuff I'm interested in, I love high-quality video. I love good production. I love electric cars. So you'll see me sharing things about that all the time. Uh, so if I come across something in that genre that's really cool, I'm going to share that. I mean, is someone paying you f- to, to promote their stuff? No. No, not, no. not yet. No. You are a – you have three other employees, but you're a one-man company, right? You are yeah. the brand. You're the face. Mm-hmm. You're 24, mm-hmm. so you got a long time to think about this. But what happens when you decide you don't want to be on camera every day or maybe maybe you don't look as good? Yeah. And you're a fine-looking man now, but maybe you For won't be sure. down the line. How do you think about aging out? Or, or, or moving away from you being the, the solo face of this? Yeah. Um, I think, so that's something I haven't really thought about. Up until recently even, my furthest foresight, and I've been interviewed before by people asking, where do you see yourself in 5, 8, 12 years? That's a dumb question. Where do you see yourself in 5 years? <laughs> I, I, I had no answer to that. Yeah. It was all I think about is the next video and making it as good as possible, and then the next video. So until recently, that's all it was. And now I'm, I'm kind of more thinking about like, one or two years from now as this team grows and how this team dynamic works. And I've, I've never been a boss before, so it's kind of a, a new position to find myself 24. in. Yeah, so I'm, yeah. I'm trying to get better at that, trying to be more efficient, trying to make more better. Um, but I still don't have a 30 years from now plan necessarily. My goal is just kind of to make this as good as possible. All right, I don't want to wait 30 years. Can we check back in a while? See Absolutely. How, see how it's going? Yeah, hopefully better than it is now. <laughs> yeah. It's going great now. What are it you talking about? It is going pretty well. Okay, but if good. you saw the behind the scenes... You might, you might think of a few suggestions. Marcus Brownlee, MK, BHD, you are great. Thank you for coming. Thanks to you guys for listening. Thanks to our sponsors. Thanks to Cadence 13 and Vox Media. Bring those sponsors to you so you can hear Recode Media for free. Our standard ask is that you tell someone else about this podcast. They will like it. They will thank you. Thanks to Joel Robbie, who edits this show. To my producers, Golda Arthur and Eric Johnson. This is Recode Media. I am back next week. I'll see you then. Today's show is brought to you by IBM. By 2050, the world population will reach nearly 10 billion people, and food production will need to grow by 70%. Farmers are working with IBM and Watson to help increase their crop yields. Let's put smart to work. Find out how at ibm.com smart.